0: Uh, This is Donald Copeland, assistant men's basketball coach at Seton Hall. You're listening to Left Coast Pirates. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around it in, and a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pound from Woo! What Triton makes, the world
1: takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in Sandy. California he is Mike Desiree class of 2001 I am Tom Kaharski class of 1997 and we are left coast pirates welcome to this week's edition of left coast pirates it is December 5th 2021 Mikey can you believe it's already December
0: It's kind of surprising. And I'm going to give you an early Christmas present, Tom. Oh, good. good. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm not going to have some riveting monologue to start this week's episode because I want to make sure we have enough time in this episode to get in that resume building top 25 segment that I like to talk about before you chop it out of the notes and, and, and send it off to the cutting room floor, as they say. Mikey, do you really ever
1: think your stuff is riveting? I mean, you tell me about your brother. Then you tell me about your buddies and and some kid at a bar watching a Seton Hall game. I, none of your stuff is riveting,
0: Michael. I, I told you, you about you're the fooling time, yourself. I told you about the time when my wife weighed brownies during the collapse in the Bahamas. It was, this is good stuff, man. Oh this is good
1: my, good. This good stuff. It's about as good stuff as what we saw this week. It was supposed to be a get better week, and what did we get? I I don't even
0: know what we got. Right? We'll we'll go through it. We'll break down the games. Yeah, you were hoping for some uh, silver lining stuff or just eye-popping progressions on things that might have gotten better, but you got kind of two ho-hum performances where the Pirates ended up on the, the positive side of the victory like they should. Uh, felt like they were going through the motions at times. I, I guess we could debate about it. Well, we'll talk about the good. We'll talk about the opportunities or, as you like to call it, the sour grapes and gripes. Well, we'll throw in a couple flops here and there from both the, the announcers and maybe some... Uh, Deep thoughts from Kevin Willard, and then, then we'll put a ball on this all as we head into a very, very big week upcoming for the Pirates. The, the gauntlet, as Jerry Carino puts it, the home stretch for the holidays, Texas and Rutgers coming to the Rock this week. Tommy, big stuff.
1: Well, this week on the podcast, we will review the wins against Wagner and Nyack, and we will take a look at the upcoming games against Texas and hated Rutgers. But first, Seton Hall 85, Wagner 63. Seton Hall got out to a quick 13 4 lead, following back to back buckets by Jared Roden and Kadari Richmond. But the Pirates once again couldn't close out the first half, allowing Wagner to draw within two off the heels of an 8 2 run. Willard woke up the troops at the break. And with runs of 13-2 and 11-0, they built a 22-point lead with about 7.35 to play, and they would maintain that until the final buzzer.
0: All right, the box score, Tommy, on this one. I'm going to not give you Jared Roden's name to start for once. How about that? Kadari Richmond kind of did everything in this game, kind of really eye-popping to kind of showcase his talent. We'll get into that. But listen to this stat line, 10 points, 9 assists, 6 rebounds, And, four steals, and yes, that man, Jared Roden, did show up. Double-double, 15 points and 11 boards. Tyree Samuel, your boy, 15 points on 7 of 11 from the floor with six boards to boot. And there were a total of six players in double figures as Harris, Yetna, and Jackson broke the double-digit mark as well. All right, for the opponents, Raekwon Rogers, 15 points on 7 of 9. Don't want a slight... The outstanding effort for the top man for the Seahawks on this given night. Uh, But for the team stats, this was really all about Seton Hall and being efficient. 52% from the floor. Not really efficient from the three-point line still. 29%, 7-24 on this evening. And then free throws took a little step backwards here. 59%, 10-17. But that didn't really matter at the end of it all. The turnovers were kind of equal. Pretty sloppy game overall. 16 for Seton Hall, 17 for Wagner. And Tommy, here's your turning point. It's the start of the second half, if you ask me, because there's no way without three of their top players and only eight scholarship guys, plus coming off of a a two-and-a-half-week COVID pause, that Wagner was going to be able to kind of keep up with Seton Hall based on the size and depth that we brought to the table. So as that second half progressed, you just saw that that team was winded. They were gassed. And ultimately, that our talent was going to kind of win out, but it really had to happen in the second half. Really, the well, turning point they, had to be the second half.
1: And don't forget, uh, Coach Bashir Mason of Wagner was not on hand. They had some uh, assistant coach leading the troops. I, I think they said the last time he was a head coach of any game, it was a high school game somewhere along the line. So let's. They were down, let...
0: they were down two coaches, if I'm not mistaken. It was Bashir Mason and another assistant too. It was just it was one of those games that. We really should have came away with the victory. We did. Uh, I know we're going to get into some sour grapes and gripes, but, you know, Kadari got them going at some point, and he kind of carried that momentum. I don't have much else for the blue-tinted glasses section. Let's kind of focus on Kadari and kind of really highlight the impact that he had on this game.
1: Kadari brought to the game what we've been expecting. I mean, it's kind of hard to get overly excited because it is just Wagner but he had that complete game he was just grabbing numbers all over the board and he also had the wo did you see that moment with that no look behind the head pass to Tyrese and Tyrese was able to slam that home it was it was a nice little effort by Kadari well
0: let's also not forget that because it was what it was a random wednesday night it also makes the ESPN top 10 plays for the day it came in at number 8 this is another reason why being in the top 25 is so important for people out there. Your highlights get noticed, right? That play could have happened across any game, you know, in the nation, but you're a top 25 team. So there's more eyes on your ball game. Kadari gets a little extra love by making that play, but that was a cool play, right? The eyes in the back of your head, drop off. They say he has court vision that we haven't seen unlike anyone. What maybe going back to Isaiah, maybe even <laughs> prior to that.
1: That's I mean, the comparison that people keep making. Those kind of eye
0: eye popping, jaw dropping plays that uh, that uh, Isaiah used to make. I don't need the jaw dropping stuff all the time. You need the the solid play. You got to have the the wherewithal to find the open guy. He was making passes into the post. He was drawing defenders and dishing. He looked comfortable. That was probably my biggest takeaway. Is he looked like he was in the flow? He was the one running the show. It wasn't. It wasn't out of sorts. It wasn't rushed. I mean, he felt like he was finding his groove, albeit against a lower level undermanned team in Wagner.
1: And because the fact they're a lower level team, way undermanned, loss of their head coach for the game. How do we continue to have these slow starts against lesser opponents, Mike?
0: Well, that's it. You got nothing else in the positive column. You're not going to find another silver lining. What do
1: you have something else nothing. that you'd like to talk I, about? No, I got nothing. I, got I mean, nothing. This, was, <laughs> this whole week, Mike, was supposed to be this get better week. This was the week that they were going to kind of get past all those problems they were having the previous week and, and really kind of get prepped for this huge upcoming week we've got here. And I don't know if I saw
0: that. No, I I thought after they had a rough start to the Bethune-Cookman game and had to kind of kick it into gear in the second half, that was going to kind of, you know, get out of their, you know, their bag of tricks. They were going to kind of get refocused, come out on this game, you know, lay the wood to them early, and it didn't happen. So I'm surprised about the slow start, and I know we're going to talk about it again next in the NIAC game. Is is there anything that's jumping off the page that is kind of, you know, causing them to go through these slow starts from your the the trained eye or even just the general observation
1: I, I don't know i i don't know what's going on physically they should have dominated these guys maybe to the point where they're not playing to their strengths i mean this is the same kind of deal that we heard the past two years you know we're the third biggest team i mean they haven't given us that stat yet this year but we're still a really large team from one through five and yet it seems like we just want to do one thing and shoot three pointers because when we start going into the middle especially against depleted smaller teams we seems like we have our way with them no
0: do you, I, no without a doubt i mean and, and they should be doing that i understand that Willard also wants to try to work on things in these games i think it's a mentality of you have to come out and you have to impose your will And you you have to want to beat your opponent by 50 to an extent, right? And I think sometimes you take where Seton Hall has either played up to their competition or they played down to their competition by taking them for granted. And I'm also going to parallel that now to the crowd, right? So here's a top 25 team, maybe a little bit unexpected in the top 25 this year early on, but you still have a top 25 team. ESPN reports the attendance, which I'm assuming is through ticket sales, at 8,136 but you know the observed attendance on hand was in the 4,500 range I- I'm sorry Tom but but you know wh- what do we got to do to get the fans to show up for a top 25 game and I'll also parallel I'll go into a little bit the NIAC game for a moment here and say the NIAC game at Walsh capacity was only at 68 percent for this game 1,119 people showed up what was it even that we turned on Fox Sports Two, and it just looked like empty seat after empty seat. Isn't it a free ticket for the students to show up to Walsh on a Saturday?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a—it's a disappointing look for both of those games. Yes, it's Wagner. Yes, it's Nyack. But you've got a ranked team you should be going to this game man i mean it's a bad look when you see the lower level seats in Walsh empty i mean just swaths of seats that are empty and it's not like you're at concessions there come on guys do better than this
0: does that add to it though you're a player you take the court you see the empty seats in this cavernous arena at the rock you see half capacity or just above half capacity at walsh on your own campus and you are just kind of get maybe a little dejected, a little deflated. You don't have that that extra pep or energy from the crowd to get you going right away, plus the early start. But then Wagner wasn't an early start. Wagner was a weak night. I, I don't know. I'll I, I tell you
1: who else was deflated, Mike, by and, and didn't have his best performance. Yes, we're going there, Michael. This is how boring that game was, the flag guy. For those of you who haven't seen the tweets or anything on social media, the flag guy was running that flag around at about, I don't know, the third or fourth uh, revolution. It just goes toppling over. I believe it hits uh, Granda in the head. I mean, how does that happen? And of course, all those old heads oh, I'll go back to back in my day when Jaime was running the flag. He was running the entirety of the court. And he wasn't getting tired. Now I love the flag run, but you got to get prepped for this. You got to train. This oh, is a goodness. difficult thing to do. Oh, Come on, goodness. man. We,
0: we are not going to go through the logistics of the flag. Am I, do I really have to tag onto this? You know what the real problem is? They're not having the timeouts on the sidelines anymore. Now the players are coming out onto the court, so it's screwing up the logistical lap of the flagman, right? He's be able to take the full lap around the court, get a full head of steam going from baseline to baseline, and then he makes that turn and carries all the momentum. Now he's got both teams on the court during the timeout with their like little mini chairs, and he's got to do these like half circles. You have any idea how hard it is to get the momentum and just keep on turning and turning and turning? Mike, Mike this
1: guy's not making the full court. I'm sorry, he. he yeah.
0: Here's he, my he's problem. Your- I, I, I like a good redemption story. So there's been times in the past where the flagman has had his ups and downs, and the fans get on him, and you see like the message board pick on him, and you're like, Come on, he's just a student, you know, get behind him. And then he comes back out the next game and they've worked out the kinks, and you see the fans just like rip roaring for his his redemption story. That's not gonna happen ever again. Willard is never going to let a flag be whipped around that court when it has the potential to take out one of his players, just be, be lucky. It was grand at his walk-on. Oh my all, goodness.
1: All eyes are going to be on the flag guy on, uh, during the game against Texas, because if he makes that mistake, all oh, he's just, he just can't come back to school. If
0: he does it again, I don't think you see the flag man again. I'm sorry. I, I, oh I, no,
1: no. He's coming back.
0: There's certain things you got to have. I don't think it's coming out the Texas game. I don't think it's coming out the Texas Uh, game. I
1: think you may move where the flag guy's running. Maybe you move that to center court. Would you be okay
0: if he came out with like more of like a half ass, like you know, really small? No, no, work out, boy. Get in the gym. Didn't they do that once before like the flag man was like the last letter, or he's like, or he's the big S in in the train of Seton Hall or something like that? I thought that was
1: I want to see him running laps in the rec center with the big flag. Just run, just run, boy. Get, get get in shape. Let's do dude, this. Dude, are you... We
0: are reaching. We, we got to move on here.
1: We are <laughs> reaching go. a little bit. So, Seton Hall, 113, Nyack, 67. Not surprisingly, the Pirates got off to a slow start again. And after Jordan Rodriguez hit back-to-back three-pointers, Kevin Willard was forced to call a timeout with the Hall trailing 13-7, just five minutes into the game. With 12 minutes to play, Jameer Harris hit his first of six three pointers on the day to retake the lead for the hall and they were off on their way trey jackson's three ball extended the run to 29 to 6 and the pirates were out in front by 18. in the second half seton hall got whatever it wanted at the rim and methodically built the lead to the final margin of 46 behind the size and athleticism of Tyree samuel and
0: trey jackson I'm going to break protocol here for a second. I wrote that as surprisingly because after the Bethune-Cookman game, after the Wagner game against D2 Nyack, you really thought they were going to come out slow again?
1: Not surprising? I'll say this. I was not going to be shocked if they were having a tight game for the first five minutes. This is one of those games, Mike, where – the other team was going to get jacked up for those first five minutes and, and play hard and try to get there. I didn't expect them to be up like that.
0: Well, they but, made some shots too. I mean, everything was right. going down. I thought you know, it, it happened, but it was five minutes in. I could see like the first couple buckets, you know, and then I expected this to be a, you know, a robust stats sheet stuffing performance for multiple guys. So let's get back on track. Uh, the stats on this one individually, Tyree Samuel, 22 points, 12 rebounds, Trey Jackson had 21 points and seven boards. As you mentioned, Jameer Harris went six of 10 from long distance for a total of 23 points on the game. Jared Roden with another double double at 16 points on 11 boards and Kadari Richmond backed up his nine assists from the last game with another eight in this one on the team side. I'm not going to bore you with Nyack Seton Hall's numbers robust 63% from the floor, 50% from three 13 of 26. I guess the sight lines were good in Walsh today, Kevin, huh? And then the free throw shooting, you know what? It, it was better again, 24 of 31 for a total of 77%, almost 77.4 There, time. Don't want don't to, you know, shortchange them at all. So they got that back to where it needed to be. And they also got back to the line, which is what they should be doing. They dominated the glass for plus 19 margin, 46 to 27. And they had 20 assists on 38 field goals made. Turning point. I can't even believe that we have to do a turning point for this game, but I'm going to go with Willard deciding to sub in Jackson and Samuel for Yetna and Obiagu after that 13 to seven slow start. I thought the two of those guys brought a different energy level to the game. They brought a different level of athleticism. I think their D was a little more nimble against the smaller front line of Nyack, which I can't believe was giving us a hard time. So I thought those guys kind of turned the tide got Seton Hall right where they needed to be. And like I said, off and running Harris starts bombing threes. And before you know it, they're up by, you know, they're up by 18 and they don't look back.
1: So let's put on some blue tinted glasses because I mean, when you win by almost 50 points, there should be a lot of good things to talk about here. Those bigs that came off the bench. Mike Tyrese Samuel and Trey Jackson. You mentioned their numbers. They were dominating out there, man. It's it's kind of silly to say that Nyack had no answer for their as- athleticism and size because, you know, I mean, Nyack had no answer for him, but they were getting what they wanted to out there.
0: So how are you feeling about your boys? Some, that's a nice game for him right there. And keep on reading like, hey, that there are the signs. There's some nice moves. Let's build upon that. How are you feeling about Tyrese after this one?
1: Tyrese is starting to move better out there. I mean... He's got, how do you like his free throw percentage, his mic, He's shooting at a little, you know, uh, that's going to that's gonna six be some. six or seven
0: in this one? It's going to be a huge
1: improvement of that 30% from last year. But, you know, he seems like he's getting more comfortable out there. I'm not ready to bang the gong
0: about it, but, you know, he's, he's doing well out there. Good, good. Please don't bang the gong about it, because now I'm going to be the bad guy within uh, the blue tinted glasses be, be
1: careful where you go with this, Mike, because you may not like uh, what I come back I'm, with, so I'm gonna go stick, ahead.
0: To, I'm going to stick to the facts here. Tyrese in the three matchups versus the power five and in the game against Yale, he's averaged 6.8 points per game. Then you take the other matchups, the other four games on the schedule against the low D one and Nyack D two, and he's averaging 16.8. You know, he's only has two rebounds per game in the three power five matchups. He's not going to get the benefit of seeing these smaller front lines in the games that he's gone off. So Does he have the skill set? Yes. Does he have the raw talent? Yes. Does he have some eye popping moves? Yes. Can he step out and shoot the three? Yes. We all love what he can do, but he doesn't do it consistently yet against the larger front lines that Seton hall is going to face throughout the big East. So there is that question mark of can he translate it from these four games into the bigger matchups? And it hasn't happened even so far this year
1: you know i love the term that you used benefit there mike because he's certainly not getting the benefit of the doubt that you always seem to have for your boys so i'm i'm glad that you did all this math for tyrese but yet your jameer harris your boy I'm surprised you're not pumping him up for his 23 points, six for 10, and then I'd I'd get to say, well, why don't we back those numbers out against all those low D1 teams, Michael? Let's see what he does against big teams. So anyhow, I love this backhanded Tamir, compliment. Tamir, here, here. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give another backhanded compliment. No, no, my, no, no, oh, my my scale. Oh, my here. My here we go. Here comes another whooping boy for you that you don't like. So here we go, Mike. Get ready. Miles Kale comes back to kind of stretch his legs uh, before the Texas and Rutgers games comes out. Twelve points in about twenty minutes looked pretty good. Didn't kind of overdo it on the defensive side, nor did he really have to. But he came out strong.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that Miles got in and, and got some run. He looked good. I mean, I, he didn't jump off the page and do anything spectacular, but I wasn't looking for anything spectacular. He was active with his deflections. He was running the floor. You know, people that were there were like, "Hey, you couldn't tell that he was limping or had any, you know, ill effects from the injury." That's all you wanted, you're, Hey, Miles, get a little bit of the rust off. Show me that you're not injured. Get ready for the Texas game. I thought he was only going to get like ten minutes to run. So for the fact that he got twenty, I was kind of pleasantly surprised that he got the extended run. Played a solid game, and you know, he's he's that leader on the defense out there. There's no no way to kind of hold miles back or, or limit his praise when it comes to what he does for this team defensively. I think they lean on him to up the level of intensity. And I hadn't seen that the last couple of games. And I thought they were much more active in this ball game. Once they kind of got into gear because of miles. Right.
1: I, I was, I was actually surprised that he actually started that game. I thought it was going to be a Jared Roden type situation where, when Roden came back after his ankle, they they brought him out off the bench kind of slow and kind of let him work into it but no they had miles right back in there
0: yeah and i don't get that whole i gotta come off the bench to work into it stuff i mean what, what does that mean
1: i i'm not saying i get into it either but i'm saying it was just surprising that it didn't follow that pattern
0: all right but before i move into our last bullet point for blue tinted glasses uh, Jameer is now up to 39%, 39.4% for three point range. Go yeah.
1: going six for 10. I'll do that for you against Nyack. I the like open it.
0: Shot. I just wanted to make open shots. Stop shooting the ball off the dribble. He was making those long range Steph Curry type shots this past it's game. Because he was set. He wasn't trying to do it off the dribble. There's a difference. Kadari Richmond had the court vision going again, right? Eight assists. It looked like he's getting into a nice groove. It's really, really nice to see that true point guard influence. You got Jared Roden talking it up in one of the post games going, hey, if if I get to the spot or if I run hard on the fast break, I know he's going to put the ball where it needs to be to make my life easy. That's what you want to hear. You want to hear that there's confidence from your teammates about what the guy with the ball in his hands is going to do the majority of the time. So two games in a row, once again, level of competition, but it's nice to start seeing Kadari more comfortable out there on the court.
1: And it wasn't just the spectacular. It was like, you know, just simple looking entry passes that were getting to the guy right where he wanted them. So, yes, kudos.
0: Yeah, make the right decision. He, he took a couple jump shots that I thought were not forced. You know, he drove the lane, got his guy to take a couple steps back, elevated for a nice, you know, foul line extended type jump shot. That's his range. He even caught, he hit a three in rhythm. He just looks more comfortable. Let, let's see if that translates to the big stage in front of a packed house Thursday night against Texas.
1: But Mike, isn't that what he's known
0: for? Oh, you're, you're not allowed to drop inside jokes on the podcast without explaining it to the audience. You're, you're trying to create a segue. It's a beautiful segue, but but they, they don't know where you're going with the
1: joke. Before we get in, start talking about the negatives from the game. Not only were there negatives from and Allside, but there were negatives from the announcing team. These past two games just seemed to have a rough time with J- Jim Spinarco seemed to have a rough time.
0: I like Jim, though. I, I tell you who my favorites are. I don't hold any, hold anything back. I like Bill Raftery. How do you not like Billy? Uh, I like Ian Eagle. I love Sprenorkel. And I just, I thought this comment that Jim had, yeah, he missed the mark here. Uh, so I, we don't have the audio on this one. I'll, I'll kind of just uh, describe the situation. I think Kadari brings the ball up. Uh, and instead of taking a forced shot at the top of the key, the defense kind of collapses on him. He dumps it down. To him. I think it was Tyrese or Roden, whatever it was. But it was a really nice pass. For an easy bucket, and then Spinarco's like, "Oh, as Wagner had to had to respect Kadari for his three point shot there." So Kadari made the right play and passed, you know, underneath the basket because that's what Kadari's known for—the pass with the three point shooting. I, I think Jim was talking about his three point shot and coming into that game, Kadari he was shooting twenty five percent from three. Uh, I don't think Jim had his notes correct on that one.
1: Jim's not the only one that we like. Uh, during the Niak game, we had Jim Spinarco and friend of the podcast John Fanta and I hate to do this to Johnny but John had a bit of a Mike flop himself at the second half at about the 1841 mark they start talking about Ike and his progression and whether he needs to give them some offense but they zone in on what Ike does best and that's defense and John comes up with the following statement
0: He's the latest case of development from that defensive standpoint with the shot blocking of one Grant Billmeyer. Sure, exactly. Grant does a great job with the bigs. We just mentioned one of them, Romaro Gill. Yep.
1: I think he was a Juco transfer. So let's start with the back end of that. John knows that Romaro came from a junior college. There's no, I think, I mean, are you trying to big time us, Johnny? I mean, come on.
0: I, I, I get it. Or, you know, it's, it's, he's a Seton hall guy. He's not going to show his colors of being a Seton hall guy. I think John does a great job of being down the middle and everything that he does, you wouldn't know that he's a Seton hall alum, but I mean, he's going to show his love to, to Seton hall when he can, there was his opportunity to kind of give grant you know, a little bit of his due, but make the analogy that kind of connects the dots properly. Do you associate Grant Billmeyer throughout his career as the block machine of Seton Hall past? You want to to take a a guess? Take take a guess how many blocks Grant's had in his career at Seton Hall. You know,
1: Mike, Grant was more your type of center. You know, those guys that love to wall up, Mike, you know, uh, Ike, Romaro. Those are my kind of guys that throw the ball into the fifth row, you know, and, and don't let you get that shot off. I don't know, Mike. Let's let's see, 30 games per year, 120 games in his career, something of that nature. I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess one per game, Michael.
0: No, know that, that that's being very generous, my friend. Grant had 67 for his career to a tune of, a 0.6 per game block ratio. You know, Ike is averaging more blocks per game than he does rebounds. And we're going to make the correlation that Grant Billmeyer is the guy teaching Ike how to get up. He, he taught Romaro Gill how to be seven two. Let me let me tell you, right?
1: Come on, stop <laughs> it. You, you know, I, I give them this. If they were talking about um, Ike doing better on pick and roll defense, Ike's footwork, you know, something of that nature. If they wanted to make that point, I would have said, "Okay, I'll buy it. Working with Grant maybe he has improved that part of his game." But Ike was blocking two shots a game as a freshman at Florida State in 10 minutes. In 10 minutes. Yeah, don't give me this that he's his blocks are because Grant's coaching.
0: How about yeah, something co- like this? How about how about like Grant throughout his time at Seaton Hall got better in his offensive repertoire being able to kind of hit a little, you know, 6 to 8 foot face up jump shot along the baseline. Right. I mean, have we seen any progression from Ike with his with the ball in his hands in terms of like an over the shoulder hook or a little drop step or anything other than picking up the garbage of an offensive rebound or stuffing down a lob? I, the, the fact that we're talking about the development at all of Ike on the offensive side of the ball, I, I'm not buying it. I'm just not buying it. So I'm going to pick on Johnny a little bit here. He, he hits the mic flop uh, section of the of the podcast. But, I, but but I know you're not gonna let me off the hook. I know you. But not just gonna let me off the
1: hook. just to be fair, though, Mike, <laughs> you get your own Mike flop as well because last week, and I don't know how I missed it during the editing process because I would have taken it out if I heard it the first time. When you started your interview with Sydney Cooks on campus, you told everybody it was November 12th. I I don't know what kind of time traveling time machine you were in, Mike. But it certainly wasn't November 12th. I, I,
0: I took a red eye from San Diego back to New Jersey. You know, I mean, you, uh, you have the three hour jet lag or the, the time differential. You have the jet lag, you have the long drive up from South Jersey to Newark. It, it was a lot of traveling time. I mean, Sydney could have jumped in and saved me. Sydney could have been like, Michael, not to be rude, but it, wow. it's not 12. Wow,
1: blaming others. What? What? There wasn't an intern there to help you out with your notes, Mike? I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you just had a slow start like the pirates had a slow start on offense so let's go to sour grapes and gripes from uh, from the niac game but again mike they're playing a less talented team obviously it's a division two team they're playing a team that was described that plays four guards at a time considerably smaller than the pirates but yet it takes willard until the five minute mark to lay into them to get them going
0: the size issue right you want to see that when you have that type of a size issue, that the first couple of possessions, you're just going to bully ball the other team. The problem is, I can and yet to turn the ball over a couple times each early in that five minute stretch. I give Willard credit. I know we're doing sour grapes and gripes, but he sat them on the bench for the remaining 15 minutes of the first half. He didn't put them back in and reward them for that lackluster effort to get started. Whether he thought it was a matchup issue or not, he didn't get what he wanted out of those guys. And he made a quick change. My concern is he's got to find the right mix or that right starting lineup that's going to complement each other going forward. Is Ike going to be a mainstay in the starting lineup regardless of who we match up against? Are you going to go with athletic guys against a smaller Creighton team on a given night? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. You better not come out slow against Texas and find yourself down by double digits early. You might not recover. You just might not.
1: You know, it was interesting because the first play out of the jump ball kind of set the tone. Uh, so we win the jump. Kadari brings it up, pushes it up a little bit. Somehow Ike sneaks down right down the middle of the court, and Kadari gives him a little pass that should have should have been just a catch and dunk. Uh, it, it it probably would have demoralized Nyack from the go. Like, oh my goodness, we're four seconds in the game and they just dunked one over us right through his hands. It's just like,
0: Arr! at least they gave the turnover to Ike and, and, and not to Kadari on that one. Right. I mean, so, sometimes if the guy never gains possession, you penalize the guy who made the pass. Uh, look, I, I don't know if Nyack was going to be intimidated because they were aggressive from the start, not just in their shot selection by, you know, banging in some threes, Tom, they had eight offensive rebounds in the first half and 14 for the game in total. That, that, that can't happen. I, I know they were plus 19 on the glass, total seton hall but you can't let that team have that many offensive rebounds you just that that goes to fundamentals that that goes to being lazy that goes to not blocking out isn't that a broken record though of willard willard teams in the past i just you're not going to get away with that against better competition i just i don't like the little things that you should have been working on in this game kind of hitting the stat sheet and kind of causing that black eye
1: Yeah, there's no way that Nyack should get double-digit offensive rebounds. I mean, that's just, that should be embarrassing.
0: But at the end of the day, like you said, you wanted to come away with, you know, a sense of direction from these games, a, a step forward, kind of working on some of the things, tinkering, but kind of really getting things in line in a nice flow, heading into this big week against Texas and Rutgers. And I think there was a lot of fans that were kind of scratching their heads going, hey, what does this team need to do to kind of get things going in the right direction to start these games and that was a focus in the post game now before we pick on uh, Kevin about how he answered that question with uh, with Gary Cohen after the Wagner game I want to give Kevin his due I thought he handled the post game rather well in other aspects right he praises what Kadari did wait you know, a minute he's... Michael
1: wait a minute Michael before you get too far are we going into our favorite portion of the program
0: and now thoughts with kevin willard i'm sorry i'm sorry i didn't mean to jump the gun i didn't mean to jump the gun let 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 me bring it back kevin said some really good things throughout his post game as i was mentioning before you reeled me back in he praised Kadari for his improved performance he said he wants his four men to be more aggressive below the three-point line i like that statement from kevin he doesn't like to press early because he wants to treat these games as opportunities to work on things in the half court. So when you're sitting there going, hey, every time they started pressing, it was a different Seton Hall team. Why didn't he do that from the start? Okay, that made sense. But but I did have issue with one comment that he made after the Wagner game that, like I said, piqued my interest a little bit. Gary's asking him about this, the cause, or what is the cause of the common theme? Or better yet, Gary's asking him, what's the cause of the common theme of the slow starts recently? You and I could not put our fingers on it. So maybe Gary could have got something out of Kevin in the, in the Wagner post game. And this is what Kevin gave us. I'm just playing too
1: many people, you know, it's, you know, guys are sitting for long periods of time and then coming back in and coming back out. And I'm trying to get different combinations and, you know, certain, certain combinations aren't working and, you know, it's tough when big guys sit for long periods of time. So, um, you know, I'll take Saturday and still try to work on it a little bit more, and um, you know, and it's just uh, I think we're we're sitting and we're just kind of we're getting out of rhythm a little bit, and then you know, f- you know, of course, in the first half, we, you know, you miss six free throws, and again, instead of going up into the half with forty-four points and then having thirty-two points, and looks like a normal game, you know, now you're struggling, and you know, it's. I got to figure out these rotations and I got, I got one game left to figure it out. Cause after that's.
0: So, well, so, I mean, so wait a minute. So Seton Hall's leading going into half 35 to 33. I didn't even want to go here, but Kevin talks about six missed free throws. You know, free throws missed are going to happen. You can't make every free throw, but if they make six free throws, instead of being up by two, they would be up by eight. Kevin's got them up by 14. Is each free throw worth double? We're get, we getting <laughs> two points for each free
1: throw. Maybe the positivity of making those free throws gets it. So uh, I'm not going to hammer on uh, Coach Willard here too badly about his response, but I don't think it's a problem of playing too many guys.
0: Yeah, obviously. That's, I, that's, I think that's the, the takeaway, right?
1: Okay. I think the problem is, is how you end up playing them. Of course, guys are going to get out of rhythm when you have these, you know, three and four player substitutions. You know there are ways of bringing players in and out of games and you know what you kind of got to be careful with what you ask for because in the nyack game all of a sudden you didn't have bryce aiken or Jahari long available and your boy jameer harris was was thrust into some emergency point guard play
0: Well, well let's talk about that right so in in the wagner game he played a total of eight guys i i guess nine right so here are the minutes, real quick, on that Wagner game. Yetna 23, Obiagu 13, Roden 30, Richmond 29, and Harris is 32 as your starters. He brings Aiken off the bench for 19, Samuel for 25, Jackson for 17, and Long only played six. I, I don't remember when Long logged that six minutes, but it, it, he's playing too many guys. Eight, nine guys is too many right now. So nine guys in the first half. He doesn't play long beyond beyond those six minutes. Is uh, let, let's start with a couple of things. He's playing too many guys and Miles Kale was not in that grouping because he was out with the injury still. So what happens when Miles comes back? So I, I think there's a parallel. I think that automatically means that you're going to lose Jahari along from the rotation. Is, is that a fair assessment? I would think that you do. I mean, I think you when you get into those
1: uh, higher end games, the Texas. Uh, the big East games, I think Johari's going to see more pine. I mean, that's what we saw against Michigan and
0: Ohio State, correct? Absolutely. So, I, I, I'm not surprised if that's the trend line that we have, but that still means that you have nine guys. And he played nine guys and he predominantly played eight in terms of the minutes. And he's telling you, I got too many guys. So, Kale comes back, you bump Johari out of the rotation per se, you're down to nine guys, and he doesn't like nine. He said it in that DC podcast over the summertime I don't like nine. You know, maybe eight. He said, maybe eight. What happens when Weston comes back healthy? You know, he was dressed. He was in the warm-up line. He's been practicing. You know, at the end of it, they were like, no, he really wasn't ready to come back for this game. But when Brandon Weston, a top 100 recruit, is healthy and ready to go, how does Willard work him back into the rotation if he can't handle nine and Weston gets you back to 10?
1: I I don't know. I, I don't see this as a negative, though. I mean, you've got... situation where just last week he was complaining saying that he's playing bryce too many minutes well great you've got other guys that can come in and play extra minutes so you can maximize bryce's time uh on the court instead of you know tiring him out or or potentially getting him injured or something like that you've got ways of doing this ike starts off nice you know maybe blocks a few shots but let's be honest, he's a black hole on the offensive side. So you're not going to get that many minutes. So that opens up opportunities for Tyrese playing, you know, that smaller five. You know, you've got these opportunities. I've never heard a guy complain that he didn't have talent. And then God, uh, the same guy complains that he's got too much talent. But too much talent is not a problem.
0: But That's what he's doing. And he basically was saying early in the season, hey, we got to figure this out. That's why I have this three game stretch. Four, well, even Cal, if you think about it, right? This soft four game stretch that they had to kind of figure things out and work on rotations. But we're after the Wagner game. I didn't see much development in the NIAC game. And he's still telling me we got to figure things out. When? I, I That's think this Rutgers Iona. I think, I think Kevin's think just got
1: to make some adjustments.
0: And, uh, oh, wow. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that, they, that this is, should be the strength of this team. And Kevin is saying because of the slow starts he might cut back on the strength of this team, which is depth and versatility and possibly shorten his rotation. I I, want to see them go 10 guys. If all 10 guys can be utilized properly on the court. Hey, when we get into more competitive games, start pressing from the get-go. Why can't we start pressing from the opening jump against Texas? If you feel confidently that you could put nine to 10 guys out there and you can go deeper than they can go and you can get the crowd into it early on. Why can't we do that?
1: Maybe he's got to just pop some tape in because I believe Baylor, the defending national champions from last year, they went deep into their bench last year when they were winning it all. So, I mean, it's possible. Figure it out, Mr. Chiropractor.
0: All right. So, once again, they're they're heading into a stretch that's really going to help them kind of make or break this non-conference. They're in a really good spot. Seven and one. They got a chance to potentially run the table in these three games and finished 10 and one, we were saying, Hey, it'd be a pipe dream to get to nine and two, but they got a legit shot to get to 10 and one. And they're really going to have a chance to boost their resume and build up, you know, their progression into the top 25. So I know you hate me, Tom, for doing this segment. I'll keep it a little more brief this week. I- I'm going to be short and sweet to the point. Memphis number 18, they lost twice. They're out of the top 25 Michigan number 24. They lost at UNC. They're out. Ohio State beat us, was just outside the top 25 looking in. They win against number one Duke. They're going to be in. I think Seton Hall, with the lack of upsets, other than those kind of three games on the docket that move people around, I think Seton Hall comes in at 24, and they slide up one spot. I think Ohio State's going to re-enter the top 25 and be ahead of us due to the fact that they beat Duke and the fact that they also beat us head-to-head. You agree with that at least?
1: I, I, I see that I could see them staying at twenty-five, bumping to twenty-four is not out of the realm of possibility. You know, Michigan, like you said, is gonna fall out. I, I don't see moving much further than twenty-four because this week wasn't impressive. But as we know, a lot of these AP voters, they don't watch any of these games. They'll just take a look and say, hey, Seton Hall had a two-o record. Maybe they'll bump us up even further.
0: I I think they stay status quo because everybody else, everybody else in the top 25 won this week. So if they're being lazy about Seton Hall, they're going to be about lazy just about everybody else. And hence, you see two teams go out. You see one team come in. Seton Hall jumps up a spot or two. Okay, no no big deal. If they're going to make their hay, they're going to beat Texas. Wins will take care of themselves they'll have their chance to move up in the top 25. But I want to complain and get a little upset about the whole Michigan situation. I know you say it's way too early. I'm overanalyzing, but I'm sorry. The reason why we got into the top 25 is off of the recognition of beating Michigan while they were number four. It's probably going to be a really, really solid quad one win. Hopefully Uh, no worse than a quad two uh, as a road victory by the end of the season on the, the scorecard for the committee. But, Tom, they are now 5-3 and overall. They still have a solid Ken Palm of 18. But the early eye test for me on Michigan has me worried. I, I know we beat them at their place, and it was a close game. They got their butts kicked against Arizona on a neutral site and then down at North Carolina. They got run out of the gym in both of those nights. They are struggling offensively to find a way to score the basketball. They have the high ranking that they started with off of the heels of an elite eight performance the year before a couple guys coming back off of that team in Brooks and Dickinson and an elite recruiting class. Does that early season ranking remind you of anything else in Seton hall past?
1: Michael, 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 I know where you want to go with this and I'm just not going to play your game. Michigan has scheduled a hellacious At a conference they're taking their lumps right now and i think it'll be better for them later but yes i agree that right now this ends up not being as much of a big win for seton hall that we thought it was going to be previously that you know what that means michael that means it's of the utmost importance for the hall to get another marquee win this thursday night against texas
0: i completely agree because because maybe the michigan win is no longer a marquee win come the beginning of march i i'm with you it could absolutely still be there but the trend right now is not good so you got to go out and you got to seize that opportunity against texas they missed the opportunity slightly against ohio state and we're going to talk about it Rutgers ain't looking like no marquee opportunity right now either. One one game,
1: one game at a time. One game at a time. Let's not take Rutgers lightly because the next thing you know, we're going to be sitting here complaining next Sunday night. But let's take a look at Texas Uh, Longhorns. Right now, have a record of six and one under new coach Chris Beard, who took over for current. Marquette coach Shaka Smart. Their early season results have not been all that impressive. They lost to Gonzaga, which is no shame, but they really haven't played anybody else. I mean, the teams that they've beaten are anywhere between the high 100s to the mid 300s as far as their Palm ratings, Michael. The, the, mid,
0: the mid threes, that's as low as it gets. It's like 358. Uh, they played Houston Baptist, that was 351. Their average is a 253 in the Palm metrics. Are oh, those, those opponents, I mean, it's a list of nobodies. Northern Colorado, Cal Baptist, Sam Houston, San Jose State, Houston Baptist. I mean, are you serious?
1: It's a bunch of nobodies, but Chris Beard, at least Chris Beard's beating them though.
0: I know what he did it though, right? Chris Beard brings in a recruiting class that is based on probably the best transfer class in the entire country. It's heavy, heavy on on transfers. You had Marcus Carr from Minnesota, all big 10, 19.4 points per game. You got Trey Mitchell, one of the the biggest sought after bigs in the transfer market from UMass, all a 10, two, two times, 18.8 18.8 points per game last year. You got Kim Allen from Utah, all pac 12 twice in his career, 17 points a game last year. Christian Bishop, we should be familiar with that name. Creighton, big man, 11 points a game, six boards last year. You bring in four guys that have all averaged double digits and three of them high-end double digits, and you pair that with two returning players that were both big 12 all-conference players in Courtney Ramey, and Andrew Jones. And you got six guys that you have to kind of feed the basketball to maybe not Bishop as much, but the other five guys like to have the ball in their hands. And that's, that's not an easy cast to kind of mesh all those guys together out of the gate against a really robust schedule. So you saw that they struggled against Gonzaga. The final score was a difference of 12, but that game wasn't even that close. So you, you beat up on a bunch of cupcakes and you try to figure things out. Well, they got but- talent. But they got talent.
1: But Mike, these are all this is a upperclassman laden team, as you mentioned, five seniors, one junior. They're all averaging between thirteen point three and eight point nine points per game. So they're sharing the ball. They're they've got that common goal that they, they, they want to win and and they're playing well together. Also, they shoot relatively well from three, 39 nope. percent. They don't board for a darn. They are only getting 32 boards per game, which is ranked 311th nationally, Michael.
0: So that, that concerns me. Normally you go and play a team like Texas. They've had a lot of size in the past. Uh, so you're, you're concerned that a big team is going to come in and potentially push Seton Hall around. And they've done a good job of holding their own in the past in some of these marquee matchups. Michigan State, Maryland. You know, Seton Hall tends to struggle on the on the glass at times. Maybe this actually lines up well for them. Seton Hall has done a really good job of shutting down opponents behind the three-point line. Maybe they got a little lazy in the last couple of games and the opponents have done, you know, brought that number up a tick, but the first, what, three to four games of the season, we were holding teams, you know, within top five in in the the national rankings and three-point field goal percentage defense. Maybe we shut them down a little bit. Maybe we close out pretty hard. Maybe their continuity as a team playing in a hostile environment comes back and rears its ugly head and you have a, Similar performance that they brought to the table against Gonzaga. Yeah, there's a lot of things that line up here positively for you Seton Hall, but I don't think their coach is letting them get a big head about their ranking, right? Texas was seventh this week in the AP polls. Gonzaga lost again. I think they might slide up a spot. So you might see a number six ranked Texas coming in for a top 25 matchup against Seton Hall. And I don't think they're going to take us lightly because their coach, according to Adam Zagoria, in the and the and the quote that he got from him says that Seton Hall can be a title contender. Agree or disagree with Coach Beard, or do you think he's just trying to kind of keep his team's head on straight? That is
1: an interesting statement, Michael. A- after the Michigan game, you know how uh, sky high I was on our chances. I would have, you know, I would I would have believed Chris Beard a little bit more. But this is also the guy that knows how to talk to talk. Love Chris Beard. He's dropping names of movies. He's talking about how he's chumming it up with recruits. So this could be Chris kind of making it, making it getting his team in his head saying, don't sleep on these guys because we haven't
0: won anything. And these guys are good. Well, Zagoria did some top notch reporting here in this article. He also broke the story that Texas is going to go see the Jackson five musical on Broadway. Before they play Seton Hall, so you know Texas making sure that they're getting some real bonding time as a team right before the holiday and also right before this matchup. So maybe they come in loosey goosey off of the Broadway feel good story of the Jackson Five. I bet that's I a know.
1: heck. bet that's a heck of a show. I probably did, but I mean, I bet that's a heck of a show. Is that really
0: relevant? Come on, Zags. Is that really relevant?
1: Uh, a lot of things Zags does is not relevant, but you know what is the lack of ticket sales, Mike what's a team got to do to get fans in the
0: house? Oh, okay, so I, I heard there was an uptick in sales just recently today on, on Sunday, and now we're getting close to that 10,000 mark, but it, does it really, should, should should that even be an issue? This is what, like, the, the 11th time that a nationally ranked non-conference opponent has come to play a Seton Hall team, whether it's the Rock, whether it's the old Meadowlands. This is what the fans want. This is what you're asking for. Why are we not why, make this the early Christmas gift for a friend or a family member? What am I missing?
1: But these are the games you want to remember. I mean, I can still tell you about the North Carolina game for my freshman year of college. I mean, that was a heck of a, it. Just the whole environment, the atmosphere, the enthusiasm, that was just fantastic. Uh,
0: people still talk about the Ohio state game against Jimmy Jackson's team, right? I mean, sure. Those, those games resonate. I'm not going to forget about the Michigan state miles Powell performance. I'm I'm not, I mean, the, the two games against Maryland that they, they needed big performances and, the, and they got them. I, I look forward to those games. I mean, I thought there was no way in hell they were going to rally and win that game with uh, Powell out uh, and Q rallied the team and uh, big games. You remember those games. I, I hope that this is going to be another one of them. But those fans need to be in the seats. That's got to be a packed house. The energy level's got to be high right from the opening tip because this team needs that. I, I think they're going to bring the energy regardless. But man, after all the slow starts they've had, to have the fan base in the building rocking from the opening tip, if not prior to, the team could use that. I'm just I'm shocked. I'm shocked by some of the early the early ticket numbers that were kind of out there.
1: Well, I'll say this: they might be having a hard time selling tickets for the Texas game, but they're not having a hard time selling it for the next game. Rutgers no, currently. No. Stop it. Currently, 4-4 four and four in a disappointing season as of right now. I don't know. Coach Peichel said this was going to be his best team yet.
0: Yeah, yeah I don't Greg, know. Gary Carino said... This was going to be their best team since their final four team. Yeah, I'm putting together a three-on-three team in my in my uh, local community. We're going to start hooping it up in the cul-de-sac. I got the best team coming out, too. You know, just, they're just pumping up nonsense. W- whether it's to sell tickets, whether it's to read or have people read their articles. I don't know what it is, but this team is way short of that expectation at the current moment, right? I mean, their early season results time, you said four and four, but... Break down the losses at the Paul. They lost to Lafayette. I think they're a Ken Palm 300-plus team. They lost on a three with 2.1 seconds to go. Then they back up that performance going to UMass and losing on another buzzer beater. You want to talk about end game execution? They, they had a guy on the floor, and Caleb McConnell was shooting 40% from, three, uh, from the free throw line, and they let him get fouled. He bricks it. They come back down, and there's only one guy that can make a shot for UMass. And what do they do? They don't even play up on them. Bang game over. Come on. You, you, we'd be losing our minds watching these games that Rutgers has lost. They bounce back against Clemson and then they get throttled by Illinois. What a, what a joy. What well, what what a joy to start my weekend on Friday night, watching them lose by 35 Tom. Then they're not a good team right now,
1: but you know what? They're not only losing games. They lost some big time players this past year to the transfer portal Miles Johnson decided to take his talents back to Los Angeles and play for UCLA. Montez Mathis went across the bridge to St. John's. And Jacob Young went all the way out to Oregon. I think there's a I think there's a nice little flight going from New Brunswick out to Oregon because that's not the first guy that's taken that train over there. No,
0: Omeru, we did that too. We 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 know Eugene went out there. My, my issue is this. I mean, they talked about some challenges with team chemistry last year. I mean, and, and they, the team was successful. And, and they made a nice run. Uh, but all Paykel talked about was the team chemistry and how the players on this particular group really got along well. And that was paying dividends in some of their early season workouts or behind-the-scenes closed-door scrimmages. But the reality is Rutgers started playing better last year towards the end of the season when the ball was in Jacob Young's hands, predominantly down the stretch in most games. They, they had a big win against Minnesota that got them over the hump. Uh, They pulled out in overtime, if I'm not mistaken. And he was the catalyst, not Geo Baker. Miles Johnson was the difference maker in the middle defensively for that team. I don't think the fans really understood how much they were losing in some of these guys transferring out. They just looked on paper and said, wow, we get Geo Baker back for another year. The fans were saying, wow, we get Ron Harper Jr. back. He tested the waters for the NBA, you know, went through the process, but, but came back. But the reality is those two guys have not carried the torch as much as they expected them to do. Geo's hurt with a hamstring. You know, Harper's scoring is the same. His rebounds are up a little bit, but his percentages are down. His turnovers are up. And it's against much weaker competition so far versus his numbers for a full season against the vaunted Big Ten. I'm sorry. They're just, they're nowhere close to the team that they were last year.
1: Well, another big name for them is Cliff O'Marui.
0: No, I, I, no, I'm going to stop you right there. Let's get it right now. He doesn't want to be called O'Marui. He wants to be called I I don't know how it sounds, I Any mean, they're close to that, but he wants to be called Omore. So,
1: well, for, that, for 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 being a Kaharski, I can appreciate people wanting to pronounce the name right. So, up. Uh, so, Cliff Omore. 11 points per game, seven rebounds, but he hasn't really replaced the defensive presence that Miles Johnson brought to the games last year. The team is lacking major front court depth when he gets into foul trouble. It's just not been the same team and this is not this is not the best team that Rutgers
0: have seen in a long time so so they're getting more offensive production from Cliff. I think Cliff is a more dynamic player than Miles Johnson was on the offensive side of the floor. I think Miles acquitted himself pretty well, but there is this breakout upside potential. They talk about Cliff like we talked about Tyrese last year, right? This is the big stud breakout. It hasn't happened yet. I mean, he's put up some nice numbers in the 11 and 7, but he's more, what, two feet, three feet from the basket, play above the rim, very athletic. I haven't seen him do much more than damage around the, the immediate basket. He's also very raw defensively. So we saw last year that when Miles Johnson would get a couple of ticky-tack fouls, Rutgers would take a step back. They had Cliff come in as a freshman to kind of backfill. When Cliff gets a couple bad fouls or he's undisciplined and he gets in the foul trouble, they had nothing behind him. I mean, Seton Hall's got to pound this ball in and and get to the rim and challenge this guy because if they can get him off the floor, they really have nothing else on the front court. So that, that could this could be a key component of Seton Hall's success in this matchup. But the reality is, their backcourt's not strong. It's just not. I don't know if Gio's going to be back from the hamstring for this game, but in his absence, you have Paul Mulcahy and Caleb McConnell shouldering the the large majority of the ball handling duties. They can't shoot the ball well. Tom, 6 of 35 from three-point range combined. That's 17%. You're thinking maybe they get to the rim better and they attack off the dribble? Uh Uh-uh. 36 of 121 from the floor combined. 29%, and as I mentioned earlier, McConnell shoots 47% from the free throw line. That it's just it's it's not a good constructed team right now. I mean, some some of their team numbers jump off the page and are horrible.
1: Outside of the individual numbers, Mike, there's a few other team numbers that are really uh, pathetic at this point. We'll just run through them quickly. From three point land, 27%, 332nd nationally. Points per game, 65.6. 287th nationally from the floor shooting 39.4 percent 325th nationally do you see the commonality there mike i was trying to look up their
0: strength of schedule i couldn't find it it can't be good right
1: in typical in typical pico fashion he puts a bunch of cupcakes a bunch of fluff in the out of conference because he thinks that that big 10 schedule is going to be tough enough you know what? You're not ready for the Big Ten, there, pal. As you as as the game against Illinois has shown,
0: this is not a good team so far. You want you want to give me a prediction? They got to play number one Purdue at the, the rack. Oh, excuse me, at, at Jersey Mike's Arena before they before they play us. You, you really think they're gonna let? Let's say they pull the rabbit out of their hat and beat number one Purdue. They got to put back to back performances together. Play Purdue and then come play us. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing them being able to show up and handle the size of Purdue uh, on that, that Thursday night. Tom, I'm concerned that this could ultimately become a potential bad loss for the Pirates. Right now, see, uh, Rutgers is a Ken Palm 99 in the metrics. You know They haven't brought out the net rankings yet, but if the Ken Palm mirrors the net, which you know, it tends to be pretty close in line, a quad three loss at home is any team ranked between 75 to 160 in the net. Does that not sound where Rutgers is going to end up falling at some point this year?
1: If they continue to play the way they do, they're always tough at home. Let's not let's let's Fine. give them that credit. They're Fine. tough at yeah, home, sure, sure. But they are garbage on the road, and and I think the Big Ten's going to eat them up. I think Purdue's going to eat them up. I don't know why you're talking about a bad loss, Michael. This isn't going to be a
0: bad loss. Okay, okay. Then we're gonna. So- we're gonna Take them from pillar to post here, Mike. So we need to sell this game out, which I I, I think we have. I, I don't know what the final numbers on that on that, but we did not open the upper level so that we could kind of hone in on that home court advantage of the Rutgers fans could not come in and scoop up tickets in the upper level. Do you like for the fact that as big of a more key game this is for the state of New Jersey, for New Jersey basketball? For the rivalry, the hardwood classic, whatever the heck you want to build it up to be, are you a little disappointed that we did not open the upper level and have Seton Hall fans come and even invade those ticket purchases? That we had to keep it to the lower level only to kind of restrict the Rutgers fan from coming into our building?
1: I I am not. When you open up that upper level, you know, at that point, you're hoping for 14,000, 15,000. And I'll tell you what, I don't see Rutgers pulling those kind of numbers. That's a Villanova game. I could see, uh, you know, a a few other games that could do that. Now, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with not opening up that uppercut.
0: And I'm with you. I think we're going to be playing well off of the Texas game. Uh, I, whether we win or lose, I think the team will be focused. Uh, It's in our place when it's Rutgers Super Bowl at their place, they've done well when they've come to us and they have not been kind of hitting their stride. We've run them out of the building on several occasions. I, I kind of expect that to kind of play its way out. Potentially. We're going to kind of get into predictions. Why don't we go in that direction at this point?
1: So I see it this way. Cause I know you never like actually put in your name to an actual prediction. Cause you're so wishy-washy. I say, this is going to be a one in one week, Michael. I can see a stub in our toe in the Texas game but I see us doing exactly what you said, running through Rutgers, beating the brakes off them. And I say this: put your foot on that neck, Kevin, and step on them.
0: I can see it being a one in one week, but I feel like the one in one week is the minimum expectation at this point. I I think you'd be really disappointed if it wasn't one and one. You could live with it, even. It sucks to say this. You could live with the Texas victory and then a loss to Rutgers as the one and one I, I know, you, you can't go, there's no bad one and one in this combination, but don't you feel like there's the potential for a 2-0 oh this week? I'm not like stretching for a 2-0. Oh. My gut's telling me one and one but, but don't you feel like this team could make a statement, they could turn a corner, build upon the Ohio State-Michigan performances, play up to their competition, kick Rutgers out the back door, and really go into that, you know, last game of the non-conference flying high? Don't, don't th- you feel th- that
1: this could definitely be one of those teams that plays down to competition and plays up to competition as well. You know, we've played really good games against the better teams on our schedule it, with even the loss. I mean, that was a last second loss from 29 feet from three. I mean, you know that
0: that's that All right, Tommy, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my name on the line. I'm calling oh, it. I'm going oh. to I'm, I'm mush it. I'm going to Mikey mush it 2-0 oh this week. Oh. The Pirates vault into the top 15 of the AP rankings. We go flying high into Madison Square Garden, our home away from home. We're going to even then crush Patino. I'll even get ahead of the predictions for next week, and we're going to go rocking into the opener of the Big East, 10-1. and one. Bring on the Wildcats. Oh, wow. boy, baby. Oh, boy, here wow.
1: we go. But the most important thing is, are you coming over Thursday night to watch the game in
0: the house? Oh, jeez. I'm going to be sitting on my couch saying, Go Pirates! Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at L Coast Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates.